Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hey everybody, this is Shane Claiborne, and I'm so glad that you are listening in on the show here. Some of you are listening to the radio show, some to the podcast, uh, but I, I, we've done a lot of different topics over the years, and uh, this one is really special. Um, it's not every, uh, you know, you, you don't want to talk too much about Revelation in an unhealthy sense. And there are a lot of really bad books on the book of Revelation out there. Um, but there's a good one that has come out recently. And um, this is by Scott McKnight with Cody Matchett. Um, and um, Scott is prolific. I mean, he's. I, when I was reading this, Scott, I was like, you're the author of more than 80 books. <laughs> that's not one eight, that's eight zero y'all. So prolific writer. He's a scholar at um, Northern Seminary in Illinois, um, professor of the New Testament, written all kinds of great books. Uh, probably a lot of them you've, you've seen the award-winning Jesus Creed, uh, the King Jesus Gospel, he wrote The Blue Parakeet, Kingdom Conspiracy, all kinds of books. You, we'll hear more about how you can follow him, but he is on Substack. It's Scott McKnight. That's Scott with one T and McKnight. But he's my guest today. Thanks, buddy, for carving out time and being here with me. Good to see you, Shane, and thank you. It's a, it's a, I consider it an honor and a blessing to be with you, brother. Yeah, well... You know, this this book, I got excited because I have read, you know, there's the, the old uh, Revelation then and now, you know, it's kind of an anti-imperial reading of Revelation. And I mean, I don't, it's hopefully most of our readings are anti-imperial and we're going to talk about that. But this one you dedicated to some great folks too, who I've, you know, they've been a part of Red Letter <laughs> Christians. They've been on this show, Beth Allison Barr and uh, Kristen Kobe Dumay, who Kristen has been my, um, my pickleball partner from time to time, Scott. So <laughs> really, <laughs> um, but That's tell me why, why you first, why you dedicated it to the two of them and, you know, as Christian dissidents, and I guess you're, yeah. you know, looping in all the other Christian dissident, dissidents through the world, but yeah. Yeah. Like you. Um, well, I think the book of revelation, as you just indicated, has had a lot of zany, crazy interpretations. And I used to tell my students, long time ago, I've had to say this for a long time too, is that all these interpretations that we're speculating about what was going on in the world, what was soon to happen, have been wrong. And that should be a clue that we <laughs> might be reading the book wrong. And so um, over the years, I've developed um, an understanding of the book of Revelation that I think it teaches Christians, ultimately, how to perceive Babylon or empire ideologies in the world. It's not theoretical, of course. It's about Rome. And how to live in such a way that they become dissidents or resistance. So yeah. 
I think of two women today, and I, I love these two women. I love what they've written and their spirit and their Christian witness and how they have resisted patriarchy in our world. To me, they are a wonderful example of the sort of thing that the book of Revelation is trying to get believers, Christians, people who follow Jesus, mm. um, how to live. And I think I think they're wonderful examples. They sure are. So, uh, you know, and I also really thought, I was telling my wife, Katie, who, by the way, we're both reading this together, and um, uh, to, to, be, to have a resource that we can really uh, dig into the Bible together on is a lot of fun. And for the record, Katie loves um, fiction and sci-fi and, you know, all the, the, this, the, the Lord of the Rings, all this stuff, and I'm, I'm pretty much stick to my nonfiction, both in movies and in uh, book content. But this has been a really great adventure for us, you know. And um, uh, but I remember, you know, when when I was joking with Katie, I said, you know, all these people that write wrote these books in the 1980s anyway, about the world coming to an end. I was like, you start to say, if the world's really getting ready to end, why do you need to charge money for your book? Just give it away. Right. <laughs> And then they write a sequel. Oh, the date was wrong. <laughs> Somehow that's right, that's right. they can still manage to sell it. But I think for folks that that you know, a lot of people have a a sort of um, suspicion and hesitation to even pick up the Book of Revelation. So let's start with the kind of one hundred and one because you do a great intro. I mean, you get deep into it, but you start give give us a little sense of why people keep the Book of Revelation at a distance and. Why they have a hard time wrapping their hands around it? Well, I think uh, the most common experience I've heard from my students, and and Shane, I've had lots of students who tell me that they were they thought it was ridiculous that I was going to teach a class on the Book of Revelation, and um, they uh, um, they didn't want to read it. They haven't read it. They were abused by the Book of Revelation spiritually by people who used it as a weapon against them and against the world and against their friends, uh, that if they didn't make a decision to follow Jesus today, they were going to miss the rapture and they're going to end up in the tribulation. And then they show, I can never remember the names of the movies. They've been so long, but uh, Thief in the Night type thing, th those kinds of yeah. movies. Um, and it scared the um, it scared the repentance out of them, whatever word. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of other words we could use. Um <laughs> And it really frightened them, and and I'm sitting here thinking, really, I don't think the Book of Revelation was trying to frighten believers. It it warned believers, but the Christians of Revelation two through three would have taken this this message as uh, positive. You know, I have a friend named Randy Harris in Texas who says there's only three points about the Book of Revelation: God's team wins. Choose your team. Don't be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> And there's something about that. That's It's this sense that God is going to conquer evil in the world. And mm -hmm. do you want to participate in that kind of work of God in the world? And uh, the book, so the book of Revelation to me uh, is a stimulation of imagination. Mm -hmm. It makes us see things. This is one of the most common ver uh, words in the book of Revelation, I saw or I heard, mm -hmm. but especially I saw. And it, it wants us to envision what's going on. And there's all these bizarre things going on that are very much apocalyptic literature. But John makes use of this, and he wants 
to sort of baptize people's imagination into a world in which God mm. will rule. And the the way John does this is to use apocalyptic, and I tell my students, apocalyptic, gonna apocalyptic. They're going to start using graphic dualisms, you know, uh, evil and good, and people are on one team or another. There's utterly no nuance in the book of Revelation. Mm. Either you're with Team Lamb or you're with Team Babylon. And there's yeah. a stage that everything is being performed on. And John wants people to see the beasts or the, you know, the Antichrist, whatever people want to call them. And he wants to see what they're doing. He wants to see people who are complicit with this in Rome. But all the while, John is actually describing Rome in its imperial ideology and oppression of people. And, of course, the Christians are experiencing this, and they would have experienced it with many Jews as well in Western Asia Minor. Mm. They are experiencing this, and they want comfort that this is not going to last forever, that there's going to come judgment. I just read an amazing statement by by a, an African-American New Testament scholar on 2 Corinthians who talked about uh, the suffering that African-Americans have gone through but they know that there was going to be justice at the other mm. end, and they were fighting for justice. Mm. And mm. that's sort of what John, I mean, that's exactly what John is trying to teach these Christians is uh, be faithful, do what's right. Someday the justice is going to happen. And Yeah, you, you may have heard uh, Tony Campolo, you know, his, his uh wonderful um take on on revelation um for for those of you that don't know tony's been my partner in ministry for 20 years a great preacher and evangelist but he, he does this riff off revelation you know he says when babylon falls um there's two responses all the merchants and the kings of the earth they weep when babylon falls and they say how could babylon the great have fallen and so the the merchants and the kings, they're weeping. And he says, but there's another response, the angels. And it says the angels rejoice. So Tony always says, when Babylon falls, will you be rejoicing with the angels or weeping with the merchants? So yes, there you sir. go, man. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the sort of vision that's going on. You know, it's the sort of cosmic drama that you saw, find in the Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia or even Homer in the uh, Odyssey and the Iliad, especially the Odyssey. Virgil and the Aeneid, th this kind of cosmic drama is what um, is what uh, John uh, is caught up into. But it's not the uh, Pilgrim's Progress drama, which is exclusively about an individual's sort of Calvinistic salvation. It is about the world. It is about the world being baptized into New Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is it is a cosmic drama. It's it's really a pretty amazing book. I, I don't I don't know if you want to say any more about like like you know you go into a lot of detail about how the different ways you can read or interpret Revelation the the, the kind of different genres uh, that yeah. are out there. You've talked a little bit about that, but I you know I, I think that there, there's a lot of poetry there that you know I think it really resonates with. Uh, you know, things like our Matrix film, right? That are like, where are you at in the empire? You know, which pill did you take? I mean, there's all these kind of like images that are there um, that revelation. I mean, I, I love even the blood, right? We've got the blood of the Eucharist and the blood of Christ versus the blood of the prophets that Babylon has kind of yeah, built yeah, this bloodshed yeah. in the streets, you know, this kind of image of revelation out of. So um, 
I don't know. You got any more tips for people well, that are getting ready to pick up the book and dive yeah. into one of the most daunting books of the Bible? <laughs> well, you know, I really don't. I mean, yeah, it's got some crazy, bizarre imagery, but but I I think the problem with the book of Revelation is the speculator's approach that they want to identify. They're always asking who in the modern world uh, corresponds to, but really fulfills the prophecies of the book of Revelation. So is it Putin? Is Putin yeah, the right, Antichrist, right. you know? And then they can identify it. You know, it's never America uh, in a lot of these people's in that in that sort of speculation approach. And when you start reading the book of Revelation that way, you destroy the book. Hmm. It is meant to stimulate our imagination about the reality of cosmic evil. So when you I tell my students, if you really want to read this chat this book well, you have to start in chapter 17 with the description of Babylon, the whore of Babylon. It's pretty graphic. And it's, you know, it's masculinist, if you want to put it that way. Mm. Uh, mm. But in that chapter, we learn the characteristics of Babylon that are, they are idolatrous. They are massively uh, drunk in opulence and luxury and money. They are murderous. They're killing people who are doing what's right. So they're locking them up and killing them. They're into branding of their own image. Everything about Rome was a reminder in every one of these cities. There was something about Rome everywhere. The monuments, the statues, the idols, everything was a constant reminder of the money. Militarism is big. In It, it was mm -hmm. big in Rome. It is uh, big in the book of Revelation. They, they want to go to battle in the world and conquer and conquer and conquer and enslave, enslave bodies. And it's economically exploitative. You know, all, all the book of Revelation, yeah. it describes this all the time. All these merchants, not all the time, but in the big images, all the time there's boats are on their way to Rome. And we know that Rome was a, had a massive harbor, ultimately, constantly bringing in food. And if they didn't have enough food, they conquered another country and stole their resources. Mm. Ultimately, then. The, the book of Revelation is about arrogance to think that people can be God and rule the world, make Rome great again, sort of mentality. And John is saying, sorry, the, the true ruler of this world is a lion who has become a lamb, Hallelujah. and he was slaughtered. And if you follow that lamb, you will find the victory of God that is the true victory that will lead to justice and peace in this world and New Jerusalem. Mm. So instead of speculating about Putin and Israel and the United States' role and the European Union, these have all proven to be false approaches and on-ramps to the book of Revelation. Take it as a book of discipleship on how to live politically in a world that is corrupted by empire, and I think you'll come over yeah. and say, this is a good book. I mean, book. one thing you can take literally is Philadelphia does have an appearance in the book, you know? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, hey, if you're just tuning in, everybody, this is so exciting. I'm glad you're listening. I'm Shane Claiborne, and my guest is Scott McKnight, who is the co-author. Uh, this is his newest book of some 80 books he's written, but this is Revelation for the Rest of Us, and the subtitle is A Prophetic Call to follow Jesus as a dissident disciple. Come on, y'all. We're talking empire and revelation. And Scott, as you so as you were 
talking about this, though, I, I was thinking at the beginning of the book, you know, as you kind of are giving us the intro to Revelation, um, and um, you, you've got this wonderful way of creating the playbill to make sure that we sort of just like, you know, going into a Broadway show or something, we can see the different characters and the plot and everything going on. Um, give, give us just a, a little oversight of that. And even maybe just a little backdrop for John, the writer of the book of Revelation for folks that might be kind of just leaning in for the first time. You know, the, uh, it was, um, I don't know where, where I got this idea of a playbill, but I was reading David Matthewson, who's a professor at Denver, his little book on Revelation, and he had like the, something about the characters. And Chris and I had just gone to, or or we, while I was working on this and reading his book, we went to see, uh, oh, let's see, you'll be back. What's the, uh, it's the playbill of the, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we went to see it, and I saw this playbill. I thought, well, this, this is I need to do this for the Book of Revelation to see what it looks like. So these characters, I, I, will, I think we should see these as characters rather than predictions of actual people. Uh, I don't want to say the Book of Revelation is fiction or fantasy, but it borders on that. It, it wants us to envision these things. And when we start trying to figure out, clearly, Nero's in view. Nero is at work in this text. But... Every every dictator, every tyrant, everybody who abuses with empire ideology fits the bill, and mm. they belong in the playbill. So Babylon is the main character, in I think, in the book of Revelation, not the Antichrist. Babylon is, is Rome, but it represents it, – they use Babylon because Jews learned that Babylon's uh, conquering of the people mm. of Israel was the ultimate act of – of violence against the people of God. It was an act that disciplined the people of God to learn how to live as the people of God better. There is a dragon. There are, I call them, I translate the beasts, wild things, one from mm -hmm. the sea, one from the land, 666. Uh, Jezebel and the Nicolaitans, all these characters are playing their part in the drama on in the world of the battle between God and evil the battle between empire and justice and peace, and let's say economic uh, equity and distribution, or at least equality at some level. Uh, Team Lamb is God is on the throne, and, and it mm. takes an act of faith. It takes an act of courage to live in empire, to live in Rome, in Ephesus, walking those streets and say, God is on the throne. Mm. It's easy if you live in Dallas, Texas, to believe in Christianity. It's difficult when you're in the middle of a swamp called empire that is totally against what you're doing. The seven spirits are John's language for the Holy Spirit. The lamb is the center, and focusing on the lamb is such um, a challenging image for any believer's Anybody who wants to walk in the way of justice, the lamb becomes a, a huge example. Michael Gorman, who has a beautiful book on Revelation, um, talks about cruciformity or, or uh, cruciformity. The allegiant witnesses, faithful witnesses, all mm -hmm. Jesus is one and every, others. But one of the characters that really deserves a lot of attention um, 
is the woman of Revelation 12. I just love that chapter. I think the whole book of Revelation is found in Revelation 12, in the woman, the story. And the dragon tried to kill her, and the rivers, you know, it's all sort of fun. And then there's angels and 24 elders and four living things and myriads and New Jerusalem. All these are the characters that um, are bringing about justice in the world or where who will participate in justice in the new world of New Jerusalem and the others. And so, in a sense, the book of Revelation says, um, choose your team, choose your side. Who, who are you going to join in this world? Are you going to fight for the ways of God? Are you going to fight for the way of empire? Mm-hmm. And John, John, amazingly, uh, this is this is pretty important to me for reading the book of Revelation. John has um, three ways to teach believers how to live. He teaches them to be witnesses. Mm-hmm. Now, a witness in the book of Revelation and in the early church was someone who had experienced, let's say, redemption in Christ, mm. who was willing to speak publicly about it and take a stand, even if that meant losing their life. So that's where the word witness becomes a martyr. That's the same word. And John also teaches uh, people to um, walk in the way of the Lamb, is that they're going to have to be faithful and live uh, following someone who follows, uh, following Jesus. Mm. And to me, one of the major uh, themes of the book of Revelation is worship. And there are um, at least eight hymns. Mm. And uh, what I've learned over the years and what I teach my students is that if you sing these songs the way John wanted them to sing, you will become a dissident in the singing of the song. It's worship. Mm. It's sort of like if you read um, about... um, South Africa, and you read Alan Payton, and you pay attention to the leaders of South Africa, you're going to become a dissident against apartheid. Mm -hmm. If you read um, capitalist propaganda, uh, you're not. But if you read people who, like Matthew Desmond, who talks poverty by America, if you read books like that, you're going to begin to see things. John believes that if these believers will sit together and and worship the Lamb, it's going to form a new imagination. And the person who's taught me the most about this is the African-American New Testament scholar named Brian Blount, mm. who taught me in reading his stuff. I've only met him a few times. So I don't know him personally. Who He's taught me that these songs are like African-American Negro spirituals that took the language of the master and flipped the script so carefully and beautifully Mm. that the master didn't even realize it was subversion. Mm. Mm. And it led to, you know, the Jordan River being the Ohio River. Yeah. Well, all through here, you know, the the coded language of the spirituals, you know, wading in the water and all that. There was so much that was kind of underneath that, that, um, and, and, and now as we think of, uh, a lot of the language that's, um, I mean, even just great theater, great film, um, great fiction is, is taking the real stuff of the world and, and, and inviting us to open up our imaginations. But, you know, when we hear things like, 
the Oval Office, or we hear uh, Uncle Sam. You know, I mean, all of these are are things that are imagery uh, that we understand. Yeah. Um, the stars and the stripes, we know what that means. And there's a lot that, as you look into the culture, the the um, uh, the, the 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 language, the images that were used, they actually had connotations they had meaning for folks that we yeah. sort of can lose if we're not careful 2000 years later so in the last minute or two i thought we're, we're going to do more on this but um uh y'all if you're just tuning in by the way y'all this is scott mcknight that i'm talking to his new book is revelation for the rest of us but we're i mean the the word apocalypse um shares this root of the revealing the revelation yeah. or the unveiling the ripping away of a veil and it feels like this is a time in our country where there's a lot of things that are surfacing that are, you know, uh, being unveiled. Um, we're seeing things that were beneath the surface. Uh, and some of those are spiritual like kind of principalities and powers. So I wanted to give you the closing word, as you say, like, as you think, like, in a, in a way, what, what are, what's something we can take away that the book of revelation has to, offer us today as Christians, dissident Christians, as you say. Yeah. Well, I would encourage people to read Revelation 17 and 18 and and map or just look at and notice the characteristics of Babylon, which was Rome, and ask, your, ask ourselves the question, is this like my country? Is this like mm. the United States? How is the United States like this? And what am I doing as a follower of Jesus participating in such things, and how am I resisting, and how am I a dissident? Mm. The book of Revelation is political theology, but it is political theology of resistance, not resistance just to be an anarchist. It is a it is resistance in order to embed the way of Jesus in this world today. Woo! Well, grab the book, y'all, and follow Scott McKnight, the book's Revelation for the rest of us. Uh, how can folks follow you, brother? Well, I'm on Substack, and I have yep. a Twitter, and uh, I have an Instagram. I'm not very good at Instagram, uh, <laughs> and I even have a Threads, and I don't really know that anything happens there, but I have it. <laughs> My, Boom. So. You know, um, there there is a, a kind of ending to this story that can look a little bit like a bloodbath, um, and, it, and yet you kind of, I think, help us choose which side we're on but i've heard folks you know um actually i'm, I'm not going to name names but i've heard people that yeah, have yeah. said you know jesus comes back with a weapon ready to kick some butt and um uh miss the fact that the sword is in his mouth and the imagery yeah, and everything yeah. else that you're kind of pointing out but um you know that when we talk about the red letters there are some versions of revelation that have yeah, the red letters yeah. right there. yeah they do <laughs> so yeah. um you know how how is the revelation uh, the red letters there and the image of Jesus that we see or the lamb, you know, how's it consistent with the, the everything else that we know about Jesus in the gospel and, you know, in, in his life? Well, okay. I will mention a name. Bart Ehrman's book is a challenge. Mm. And I think he pushes against this. And um, I will admit that there are images there that I, as a pacifist, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a first century Jewish Christian who is writing apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. If you're going to write apocalyptic, you're going to apocalyptic. You're going you're gonna to do these sorts of things. I mean, um, Narnia has battles and people lose. People lose yeah. their lives. 
and the Lord of the Rings. But I, I don't look at that as immoral, and I don't think it's trying to inculcate violence. It's saying the game that they're playing is going to be played by God, and he's going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that this is prediction of, of an Armageddon in the Jezreel Valley in northern Israel or or south of the Sea of Galilee. I just yeah. don't think that that's the way to look at it. I think that is ruins the book of Revelation because it, it takes it out of the imagery and metaphor into the world of the literal and physical and material and and loses contact with what it's saying. But I yeah I would sympathize with the person who brings this up, but I would say if you're going to write an, an apocalypse and you're going to have these kinds of visions, what are you actually going to do if you're going to describe a battle? I mean, yeah. And then the 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 last thought, um, you know, with a little bit of a spoiler alert, um, that you know the the book does end with this beautiful renewal of all things, um, and it, it matters how we think about the end times and a lot of the most terrible you know theology and politics and um, come from a you know, this kind of bad eschatology, this bad reading of the end times. Um, uh, but, you know, there's this image that, that uh, of, of the new Jerusalem is, is absolutely incredible, where the tree of life is flourishing, the river of life um, runs through the city. It's an it's a, a image where the gates are left open, people are living without fear. And I, I love the idea where it says that um, there is no temple there because God dwells with the people. It's, it's just this beautiful vision yeah, of yeah. a restored earth. And um, I don't know if you want to say more about that, but like, uh, uh, you know why that matters when it comes to how we live in the world. I heard one pastor yeah. that said, you know, said, I, "I drive an SUV because I'm trying to expedite the apocalypse." You know, <laughs> this whole this whole world is going to just burn up, and yeah. so like, why should I care about yeah, it? That, and, uh, that, well, yes. that fails the Book of Revelation. Okay, <laughs> I think we have to read the narrative. The narrative yeah. is okay. We got some early visions. Revelation four and five is a vision. Then six through sixteen is sort of these. These three, these three or four. One of the judgments is the thunders are ignored. The three judgments that seem to overlap with one another, and then there's Babylon, and then there's New Jerusalem. But this is what I think we have to see: for New Jerusalem to come in this world, is going to be a battle of the forces of this world of evil against what is good and just, and we are called to participate in the battle. Mm. Uh, and someday justice is going to come about. And we get to participate at times in glimpsing that kind of justice, in glimpsing that kind of community, in glimpsing that kind of peace. We see it at times. We glimpse it. We see it afar, but we know it's coming, and it sustains us in hope. Mm. And um, that's that's what I think the book of Revelation is trying to do, is that for this evil, this evil has to be erased and eliminated. It's not about eternal conscious punishment and torture. It is about evil being erased so New Jerusalem can come. Hallelujah. And our our goal, our mission is to participate in the way of the Lamb in this world and worship the Lamb, and it will lead us to be the kind of people who move toward New Jerusalem. Thanks, brother. Um, yeah. So what do you write now? 80 books. You must already be on to the yeah. next two or three. <laughs> well, I, I'm writing this little series for um, Zondervan Reflective called yeah. the Everyday Bible Study. So I'm writing these little uh, expositions and reflections on the New Testament, 16 oh. of these little ones. 
But I've I've got a book with uh, a musician, former student of mine, on uh, the the sub theme. I think you'll like this, Shane. It's the the prophetic voice of deconstruction. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's really a, it's it's sort. I think our title is going to be for Christ's sake, losing my religion or losing religion or losing leaving the church. Yeah. Because what we've discovered is we have a new study that was done by a publisher, Zondervan that shows that the deconstructors are actually not walking away from the faith. They're walking toward Jesus, and they're trying to find a Jesus-based community. Yeah, man. And, well, obviously, uh, that's, uh, that, have, that's, that's what we feel in our, yeah. you know, this little movement, Red Letter Christians, is we, we often say uh, uh, a lot of folks haven't given up on Jesus. They've given up on a version of Christianity that actually has given up on Jesus. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And originally, we were working. His name is Tommy Preeson Phillips, and he's a musician as well as a pastor in Tampa. But um, we, um, uh, it was originally focused on the I am sayings, but mm, uh, it's yeah. expanded to speak to the significance of Jesus. People, we've discovered that the deconstructors want a Jesus based community. And mm. that's what we're, we want to say. They're pointing the way. We got to listen to these people. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening in, y'all. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.